HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Somerset County Tourism. Hear stories from local brewers and distillers from the New Jersey Sip and See Trail on episode 647 of Beer Sessions Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today I know they are waiting for this next episode of Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is state-of-the-art fish, cutting-edge technology for fish. We have been looking at new ways of creating proteins for people to eat. The plant-based burgers, the lab-grown shrimp, the lab-grown chicken nugget, all of those types of things. We've been talking about them for years on Tech Bites since we started in January of 2015. It has become increasingly popular both in the supermarkets on the shelves, in restaurants on menus, and in the innovation and food tech space. It is not slowing down. It is only getting bigger and bigger. And theoretically, the longer a technology is around, we expect the technology to improve as well. One of the interesting things I've noticed, and we have a guest here who we are going to discuss all of these things with. Her name is Carrie Chan. She's CEO and co-founder of Avant, which is a company in Asia that specializes right now in cultivating fish. In the United States, North America, most of the things that I've seen in my inbox and on supermarket shelves is based around animal proteins. We're very focused here on creating a plant-based or non-beef burger or creating a non-chicken nugget. The logic being the primary driver for these businesses is the environment, but people love burgers and nuggets so much. If we can give them a substitute for that, then maybe 
you can move the needle in terms of consumption. Most of the solutions for fish I see are coming out of Asia, which is interesting. And I wonder if that's because people eat more fish in Asia. Maybe that's why. Are we looking at just simply volume, create a product to substitute for the thing that is sold in the greatest volume to make the greatest impact? Maybe. One of the most interesting things that caught my eye when I was looking at the Avant website, and if you want to take a look at the website while you are listening to this episode, it is avantmeats.com, A-V-A-N-T, meats.com. One of the things mentioned prominently is the quality of fish that we currently have in our oceans today. Given that oceans are you know, a natural free environment that's global, that circles the globe. It's not like a farm where you have a parcel of land and the farm owner is very specific about how that land is treated and what goes into it. The ocean is the ocean. Um, lots of people put lots of things into it and lots of people take lots of things out and there is no real system or, you know, regulations for that. There are some, sometimes people follow them, sometimes they don't. The new kind of fish is fish that's free from not only animal cruelty, but heavy metals and microplastics. I wonder if that's also part of the driver. We don't really talk about the quality of the beef burger we're trying to replace with a plant-based burger. We don't really talk about if that beef or chicken itself has a lesser quality or is potentially harmful if we eat it. So those are some things that I'm really excited to talk to Carrie about. Carrie, thank you for joining us from Singapore. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. Well, I have visited Singapore many times, and um, it's definitely a place in the world that I like. Uh, it's definitely a place in the world that I like to eat. Uh, Singapore is known for its chili crabs and lots of amazing seafood dishes. A um, lot of seafood in Asia, uh, you know, sushi, fish, shrimp all those kinds of things, because Asia has so much water around it, so many things are islands mm. and coastal. Is part of your motivation in looking at creating a, a better fish based on, you know, sort of the, the culinary habits of where you're from? Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the major uh, driving factors um, I, I have been actually skipping animal from my plate for a number of years, but before that, I'm actually a seafood lover. Uh, you rightly pointed out that uh, if you look at the map, a lot of the cities you know, around Asia, they're actually coastal cities. So a lot of our culture, we're growing up eating a lot of different kinds of fish and seafood. So that's a major part of it. And of course, from the company kind of perspective, we look at the impact as well as the market. The market is huge here. 60, 70% of the global produce of seafood is actually consumed in Asia. So that means that we are also, you know, emptying the ocean and, you know, in a, in a very much larger rate. Um, so if you think about it, we, we, never, we never think about catching a chicken or pig, a cow from the wild to make our food, right? But fish is actually the only kind of commonly consumed animal proteins that we still rely heavily on catching from the from the wild, from the nature. And as we know, the rate that we have been doing that actually does not allow the ocean to replenish themselves. So we have an overfishing problem. And so that's a big issue. And I think we want to use 
uh, the technology and the solution to solve that. In addition to that, uh, what you just mentioned, uh, as we know, the ocean that's uh, full of a lot of, you know, things that we don't know, like microplastic and heavy metals, which inevitably get into our supply chain when it comes to seafood. So I think for consumers in Asia, we have, we're actually very conscious about food safety, uh, where our food's coming from, etc. So I think this is also the other reason we would like to come up with an alternative uh, for the consumers as well. It's an interesting and almost a little more complex rationale looking at creating a fish or seafood substitute uh, than we've heard in terms of creating uh, an animal substitute. And I, you know, I almost laughed a little bit when you said, you know, we don't really think about catching a cow <laughs> or a chicken in the wild. <laughs> and I just had this image of somebody chasing a chicken through the woods or, you know, on a farm or something like that. And, you know, it's very true. Um, we, you know, we as a general global population now at this point in time in 2022, we do not hunt for our food. Hunting for our food is something that has gone away a long time ago. Occasionally, people will hunt for a combination of sport and land management and occasionally eat what they have, what they have hunted. But that's very, very rare. And that's a, a special event for people versus uh, a weekly uh, a weekly gathering for sustenance on the day-to-day -day basis. When we talk about, you know, all of the different plant-based or lab-grown, you know, milks or burgers or, you know, chicken, people really aren't talking about, they're talking about the natural environment in terms of the environment and planet that we all live on, but they're not necessarily talking about it in terms of if the environment and the land was better, it would be a better burger or it would be a better chicken. And so if we can get to that, maybe we can still have burgers and chickens, but they're never from the wild anyway. So it's a really interesting kind of thing, I think, to think about. When we talk about the ocean, um, you know, I'm from Hawaii. I was born and raised there, spent a lot of time in the ocean, on the ocean. Um, part of the culture is, you know, respecting the ocean. We have mythology where the ocean um, is, you know, part of the, the deity system and things like that. I mean, everybody's probably seen Moana and Maui and, you know, is familiar, you know, through entertainment and cinema with some of the mythology. The ocean's a big, vast thing, and we almost don't even know everything about it. So on the one hand, there is um, concern for the ocean itself as an entity, but then we do just pull things right out of it and eat it, which is kind of interesting to stop and think about than not knowing what those fish are eating. It's so important when it comes to, you know, animals, especially in the, the culinary arena, people talk about, you know, milk-fed chicken or you know, grass-fed beef or organically, you know, organic grain poultry, we don't ever talk about what seafood is eating because it's just swimming around out there. Right, exactly. So we have been like catching fish because it's kind of free. Anyone who can go out to the sea can catch a fish. And we sort of kind of taken it for granted that it is infinite supply. Uh, Maybe to a certain extent it, it is, uh, but however, given the global population exploding, and as as we know, you know we are more health conscious. We want to uh, consume more lean protein, uh, 
things like that. So, you know, fish, um, this kind of protein actually becoming more, uh, you know, interesting. And so I think the demand is actually growing. And so that would definitely continue to drive. So, so, so for the, um, let's, let's go back to the animal, um, you know, rearing animal, right? So that was a, a, a kind of human, we practiced that for so long in history, but actually aquaculture is only about 50 years. So we figured that, you know, catching from ocean is not, you know, sufficient. If we look at the, uh, the, the harvest we get from the ocean, it actually already plateaued and it's actually going down. And uh, so part of the demand of the, of the global consumption of seafood is coming from aquaculture. So a lot of technology happening there as well. Um, but however, there's also have some uh, issue. For example, uh, it also generates, fish farm also generates some greenhouse gas because, you know, the food that the fish cannot consume, it drops to the bottom, it ferments it, and then, you know, it creates, uh, it come up, it, it it creates some kind of greenhouse gas. There were also some runoff of, you know, the, the water from the uh, fish farm, etc. And, and also it's a very intensive animal farming. So if from animal welfare perspective, it's also very similar to animals spending time in cages, uh, you know, their lifespan and, and something like that. So that's why we do believe that, you know, um, the two existing, uh, you know, method out there, uh, probably we need a third one, which by the way, also have the benefit of uh, we we are basically very sure that you know in our process we do not have any marine pollutants that can get into that. That is an additional layer of benefit compared to the two existing method out there. That's a very interesting point that you raise. We are so focused on creating a solution or bettering an existing problem, the environment, for example. Um, you know, the environment and some of, you know, saving water, conserving water and, you know, greenhouse gases. When we're talking about the, you know, plant-based substitutes for animal items, we did a, an episode um, with the head of the R&D lab for a, a European company called Hera, and they develop plant-based lab-grown things. And one of the things they're working on is creating things that are you know, environmentally good, because we think that as soon as something is not plant-based, like as soon as we pivot away from animal farming or fishing, we have a better product. But like any product that is processed and created, manufactured, there's a, a manufacturing footprint of energy required and waste produced and things like that. So it's interesting now that I think people need to start to consider not just, oh, I'm substituting a animal product for a lab or plant-based product. So that means everything is good. Like all manufacturing, not all lab-grown fish is, is manufactured equally or in the best way for the environment or in the best health way. Do you, do you find that addressing the manufacturing process and then the actual health pro the health benefit of the product to people is something um, is something that your industry is focusing on are you different in terms of focusing on that is there in the same way we see you know negative or bad practices in food manufacturing today or in agriculture today are we seeing the same 
you know, sort of bad practices replicating themselves in the lab-grown and plant-based category? Right, right. I would, I would, um, I would talk a bit about, uh, you know, uh, lab-grown or like cell cultivation version. Um, and so the starting point for alternative protein and in, in our case cell base is to offer a uh, alternative, um, you know, way of producing animal protein and meat product, uh, which is uh, more efficient use of the natural resources. Uh, so in a way that it has uh, less impact on the environment. However, it does not mean totally zero impact sort of. So, and, and also any sustainably driven um, kind of company, uh, we also need to be very mindful about our use of natural resources, uh, you, know, you know, water and power, etc. And so I think um, in, our, in our industry, we are mindful about, okay, the self-culturing, uh, the energy we use, uh, as well as, you know, the fresh water we use, uh, as well as any wastewater that, you know, we generate from the process. So, uh, for example, in our case, uh, one of our, you know, um, you know uh, patent pending kind of like innovation and solution is to look at uh, already thinking about, you know, not just producing a product, but how do we build up in our process, uh, be it innovation of equipment uh, or workflow to actually minimize the generation of waste, uh, you know, created from it. So I think that is uh, one area that we are very um, conscious about. And I believe that, uh, as you said, any as, as some, some people said, that any solution coming to the come into the world, you know, they solve some problems, maybe they will create some other, you know, you know, byproduct or something like that. And so in 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 the process, we we are we are very uh, conscious about it. So we we take it very seriously. And at the get-go, we not only rely on the process improvement, but we actually build it into our innovation and want to make sure that the process is you know, we minimize our environmental footprint as, as much as possible. But it will not be zero because, you know, we, we, we still use uh, material, we use the equipment and material to create something, right? So there will be certain uh, consumption there, but um, what we can do is actually minimize it and op optimize the process. It's so many layers of things to think about, not just as, a, you know, a business and an innovator, in terms of the product you're creating, how you create it. Um, but as consumers also, as these things start to come onto the market, uh, in the grocery store, we see things on menus and in restaurants and cafes and even some of the global you know, fast food companies, we start to see plant-based or lab-grown items on menus and it's becoming much more and more common. And you know, again, I think there is a little bit of a public perception that, oh, the plant-based or the lab-grown one is going to be better for the environment and it's going to be better for me because it's better for me not to eat fish that maybe has heavy metals. It's better for me not to eat really red, red, you know, meat because of, you know, some of those health issues. But the, but the alternative product is, is not always necessarily really healthy or healthier. Sometimes the focus is on creating a product that has the same flavor or taste or mouthfeel or texture as the primary goal and the secondary goal of making it nutritious in some way is, is a secondary goal. So I, I would be curious to know 
um, how you decided as a company collectively, you know, what kind of fish, what the profile is of the fish that you make, how you describe it, um, and then, you know, how, how you make it. When I was reading the website and, you know, you do the cultures and then it grows in, a, in an environment, are you growing um, like a, a, a giant, like, sheet of like a fillet of fish or in my mind I also sort of imagine that you were growing like actual fish (laughs) you know like a little uh, science experiment or is it you know one giant perfect fillet or a lot of little fillets or you know there's a part of it that's fantastical and like watching a science fiction movie also a little bit you know all these you know things happening in a lab slash kitchen environment so um, I know I just asked a lot of questions in in a short period of time so tell us first how you decided what type of fish uh, to make what it what it is like what it would we would recognize it as and then tell us a bit about the process of how it's tell us about your you know state-of-the-art technology Mm. Well, let me break down the the steps a little bit more so you can have to visualize it, right? So first of all, we uh, need to actually, uh, so first of, first of all, you know, uh, science, you know, the, the science understanding as early as, you know, more than 60 years ago, we understand that, you know, any cells, including cells inside our bodies, once the cells leave the animal bodies, given the right condition, uh, right temperature, pH and everything, the cells can actually survive and even thrive outside of the animal bodies. We call that a, um, a condition which is in vitro. So living outside of animal bodies is actually something uh, it, a lot of you know, cells can do. So that was discovered like half, half a century ago. And... Um, and now what we actually, it has been actually used, uh, if you have friends studying bio- biology, you ask them, they, they, always, they will tell you that they have been actually doing cell culture and this and this. So this is not new. So, but what is new is that we try to uh, adapt this technology and uh, some of the related technology into making food product. And so the process goes like this. Uh, first of all, how we create some cells is that we get some, you know, we, we take biopsy from an animal, in this case, fish. And then uh, we isolate the cell because the cells are actually intertwined with a lot of, you know, um, uh, you know, material like collagen and tissues like that gel the cells together as in inside our muscles. And so we isolate them and let them adapt to the living outside animal bodies condition, in vitro condition. And the cells will actually, some cells, they will continue to grow and they survive and then they will continue to grow. And some of them, they cannot, just like people emigrating to another location, some, some adapt very well and some do not. And so some cell will die and some cell will kind of stay on alive and doing well. And then after about four to six months, we will have a population of cells that actually adapted to the in vitro environment. We call that the cell line. So this becomes the seed for subsequent production. Uh, once with the cell line, we do not need to go back to catch another fish or whatever, because with the cells, given the right nutrient and you know condition, they can continue to split and actually come up with a you know expand in number. So that is that, and then we freeze down the cell line at low temperature when we do not need it. When we need to you know do our process, we bring it to, for example, fish. It is plus or minus about thirty degrees Celsius, a lot lower than mammals, like human beings, like. 37 degrees Celsius. So we keep the we keep them happy basically. 
give them the right food, you know, give them the right temperature. And then, you know, and then after about one month and a half to two months time, inside a, you know, customized and special design equipment is just like a, um, we call it a bar reactor, but it's more like an advanced version of a fermenter where we have been using to produce beer as well as yogurt. So same, same kind of mechanism, keeping the temperature, keep stirring it around and, you know, keep feeding food to it. And then after about two months time, we can get the output from the bioprocess. Now, in this case, the output are basically uh, cells that, is, uh, that have multiplied and expanded. And um, however, you can imagine that it is still in a very kind of like a means to meat because they have been living in a liquid kind of uh, food environment. Like because we feed them the food, the food are actually in liquid form. Uh, we call that cell culture medium, like all of the nutrients like glucose, minerals, amino acid, vitamins, etc. Uh, they've been floating around. So when we scoop them out, they will be more like a minced meat. So you can imagine that it's very difficult to cook with them. So I, uh, that's why in the first generation of product that will be coming into market, they are what we call hybrid product because in order to make it easier to cook, right, I would include some plant-based material so that I can make some patty out of it or nugget out of it or, you know, sausage out of it. And then, you know, that will be product generation number one. And I would, I would like uh, compare that to the first generation of mobile phone. Um, I don't know whether you you have that picture in your mind. You know, the first mobile the phone. The giant phone that was like the yes. size of a shoe. The yes. giant, it was like a brick with an exactly. antenna out of it. They were huge. They were like, exactly. it was like a shoe box or like a shoe. They were literally that big. Right, exactly. That is uh, that is bulky, and but however, it did one thing back then is that from that time on, we can call someone without having a cable connected to the wall. Right. So in this case, our first product is kind of primitive. You, if you look at you know compared to smartphone now, is so so basic, right? It do nothing else than you know calling Make up a someone. Phone call. mm-hmm. yeah. And then now here we're talking about the first generation of product whereby we do not need to have animal in the equation when we produce meat. So that is the very first step. The technology still have quite a bit of you know, way to go. You know, a lot of innovation need to happen. For example, on the way that we produce a product, uh, you know, the ingredient, even the machine and everything to actually make it, uh, you know, gradually develop you know, product of different kind of like look, format, texture, etc. So uh, for this industry, it is less than 10 years. I think the earliest company in this space, I think the first uh, prototype was back in 2013. And then I think afterwards, 2014, 15, starting have some startup, you know, in, 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 in the States and, you know, Israel and popping up. Uh, so now we are, we are 2022, right? It's less than 10 years. So if you see the, you know, the, the trajectory of other kind of tech development, mobile phone and personal computer, uh, it will take, you know, 10, 15, 20 years in order to get to more, uh, you know, advanced and sophisticated product. So bear with us because the first product will be a, a bit more like that. So in our case, we have uh, several products. One is... Um, uh, a fish relay using similar method. We have the cells uh, that is muscle cells from fish, 
And then we do combine that with some plant-based material uh, so that we can, you know, easily cope with it and then we can make burger out of it. Uh, and then the other is that uh, we produce something very uh, particularly focused to the uh, consumers, consumers in Asia. It's uh, called the fish mold, the swim bladder fish. And it is uh, something a little bit kind of chewy texture. And so uh, there's also a hybrid product. We also have a third product, which is uh, using the, this technology to create uh, some marine peptide that can be used in skincare product. For that one, we do not need the texture. Uh, it can use directly in, uh, you know, um, you know, skincare products as a, as an ingredient there. So, yeah. So going back to this, uh, to the topic, indeed, uh, the technology is uh, developing and our platform, we have the, we have the, you know, we can create, uh, you know, product uh, from scratch. And these uh, fish species would like to develop. Uh, we can go about and develop, you know, new new product, uh, you know, um, you know, into the market. Yeah, it's so fascinating, and it's an interesting analogy to think about the first cell phone and mobile phone, and where we've come um, over the past, you know. 30 years, 25 years. I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I'm thinking of movies that I've seen <laughs> where, you know, back in, you know, the 80s, I'm thinking of the movie Wall Street where Michael Douglas has that giant, giant <laughs> mobile phone and he's like walking out on the beach or something like that. And, you know, obviously he's a, he's a guy with a lot, a lot of money. So he has this thing and, um, you know, of course, I'd, I'd never seen one in real life. I knew they existed, but it's it's an interesting um, analogy to think about. You know, longevity is something that's very important. Heritage Radio Network has been on the air for more than a decade, and we have tens of thousands of episodes of podcasts and conversations in our archives at heritageradionetwork.org. We are dedicated to continuing to have these conversations and record them and keep them to listen to today, to share, and to have in the future to look back. Sometimes it's hard to know where we are in our food journey until we get a little bit further down the road. The way we keep the lights on and the mics hot is out of generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. Exciting news for restaurants. Bento Box and Clover have teamed up to provide even more technology for a better hospitality experience. With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. Bento Box's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With Bento Box and Clover working together, restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. That's getbento.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R. I'm Jimmy Carboni, host of Beer Sessions Radio on HRN. I recently hosted a live podcasting event with local beer and spirits makers from beautiful Somerset County, New Jersey. We spoke on the farm that is home to Flounder Brewery and Belmar Distillery one of the most beautiful stops 
along the Sip and See craft beverage trail. To me, those two worlds, brewery and distillery, are extremely complementing businesses, especially in a unique location like this. So it immediately helped this become a destination to have a great experience, whether it's the beer atmosphere we've got going in here on the old barns or the great experience you can have in there with these incredible cocktails that are created there. It's complementary to each other. You can have two completely different experiences all within a 10-foot walk from each other. Before the event, I was able to tour the area and see the historic Bridge Tender's house along the serene DNR Canal, walk the bike and hiking trails, and take in the lush farmland. Then we settled into the centuries-old Dutch barn turned brewery for a lively discussion. It was always important for us to create our space, our livelihood that we want to share with everybody else of being a community-centric location. It is what makes us a brewery in this state different from a barn or restaurant. Um, you know, we're obviously family-friendly here. Um, we have a lot of different groups that have their meetings here during the week. We just really want to become a community hub. You can listen to this episode of Beer Sessions Radio, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Somerset County Tourism for supporting this episode. Learn more about the Sip and See Passport Program at visitsomersetnj.org. That's visit S-O-M-E-R-S-E-T-N-J.org. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we are talking with Carrie Chan, CEO and co-founder of Avant, avantmeats.com. You can find them online. Take a look at their website. Their principal first product is cultivating fish in a lab. First cultivated meat company in China. They were founded in 2018. Um, they're billed as a new kind of fish, state-of-the-art fish. State-of-the-art fish, it's such an interesting idea. One of the things that's notice, notable, I think, about creating fish in a lab is most of the animal substitute products that we talk about on this show, and certainly in the U.S. and North America, we're looking at beef and chicken. We're looking at burgers and nuggets. And certainly that is something that the consumer base really consumes a, a high volume of products. So if you want to move the needle on something that's environmental, you go after substituting out the product that is selling the most. But Kerry raised a really interesting point earlier in the show, and it's certainly something they explore on their website and in their company. The ocean is the environment. The ocean is the environment. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things in the ocean since the dawn of, of humanity, really. People perceive it as being a free resource. Um, just go into the ocean, just go into the water, catch something, grab something, eat it, take it home. There really isn't anything else on the planet like that. There also really isn't anything else on the planet that we don't know everything about. Um, it is almost like a science fiction movie where there are the deep, dark depths of the ocean that people have never been and we don't know what's down there and how does it all work? So it's an interesting idea to think about not just the environment that we live in, but also what we take out of it in terms of a resource, in terms of animals and fish and things and seafood that we would eat. But what about the quality of those things? You know, there are a lot of chemicals and pollution and plastics and heavy metals in the ocean. And of course, as we know, we put so much value on what our food eats in the system. 
people are interested in grass-fed beef. People are interested in, you know, organic grains and no antibiotics for their poultry. But we can't control the oceans in the same way at all. So interesting to think about not just saving the environment or making an environmental impact, but actually taking a look at the quality of the thing that is coming out of that environment that we're eating. They do have end-to-end technology on the fish. The interesting thing she mentioned just before the break is that their technology also impacts skincare because we have so much of skincare that is derived from animal products. So that's interesting also because from one sense, all those things are made in labs and packaged in the cosmetics industry. Carrie, what's the um, what's the sort of one-to-one equation of creating, you know, protein peptides in a lab and then taking them from an animal or an organism? Is that going to be a much easier thing to replicate and produce? Right. Um, one way or the other. So um, so for, for some like peptide kind of uh, ingredient, uh, there are currently uh, a couple of ways of um, uh, producing that. So first of all is, as we know for collagen is that uh, we take some discarded animal kind of material like the skin of chicken or pork or scale of fish and something like that. And then we use chemical, uh, generally like acidic in nature, uh, so that we can extract, you know, the required uh, molecule and a protein uh, from, from those material. And then we have to neutralize it. Uh, and then we make it into, you know, the, the collagen ingredient that can be used in our skincare product. And uh, we have been actually crazy about collagen, right? The the only referring this word actually gets some, you know, you know, people like me and female consumers kind of like a like lit up because it's something like can be good for our skin and everything. But it's heavily uh, relying on animal. Uh, there are also solutions, uh, you know, out there using you know precision fermentation. Uh, our our technology, our patented technology, actually uh, use cell culture. Uh, to produce the, uh, because inside animal cells is where it contains uh, a lot of useful material, including functional protein. And then we can actually extract all of them in one go and of course make it into, you know, peptide that our skin can easily absorb. And so that is the, that is the technology behind it. And we do see that the same as what I described, uh, this process, uh, as soon as we have the first uh, cell line, we do not need to go back to slaughter, catch, you know, any animals and any fish. So in this case, it is uh, more sustainable. It's also purer because in the process, we do not need to use harsh chemical like acidic solution, something like that. We use very gentle material. And in our process, uh, we because the cell culture require pretty high specification of environment to operate so that it's not contaminated. So, you know, it is, uh, you know, there's no harsh chemical into that and they will be very pure. So um, this is how we see that is created a very interesting um, uh, a category or interesting um, product or product category and also method of producing um, animal protein peptide that in the past we could not do. Certainly collagen is a supplement and a product that is increasingly uh, popular. I see more and more collagen products on the shelves in supermarkets and drugstores and things like that. I see collagen gummies, 
uh, like vitamin type things, powders to make shakes, to put into soups. And then, you know, there was a bone broth uh, trend years ago, which is still around and people do still talk about bone broth. Interesting thing is that any broth or bouillon that you would make really typically starts with bones. So by nature, if you're following a traditional recipe, any you know, boiling of bones to turn it into some sort of soup or bouillon or broth, you get natural collagens that come out of it. And we're really talking mostly about beef and chicken. Um, so, you know, that's an interesting trend now also for beauty, for, you know, your, your body health, for bones, for your muscles and your tendons and ligaments and all those, your hair, your nails, all those types of things. I don't know that anybody is talking about the process to extract collagen and how good, neutral, or bad that might be in terms of what types of chemicals or process or technology you need to sort of extract all of that collagen from the bones and then turn it into a quickly dissolving flavorless or flavorful powder to throw into your, you know, post, post-workout smoothie. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is really interesting. And I, you know, certainly, um, on the supplement side, I think it's men and women on beauty. It's definitely more, you know, women are interested in those types of things, uh, which, which sort of leads me to my next question. You know, as a woman, it's exciting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of face, uh, face creams and products and body things and all of that. And, you know, looking fresh and dewy and, you know, nice skin and all of that stuff. Um, is that a bigger market than the fish market? How does, how does, how does beauty and wellness fit up against fish? Right. Um, so for the, uh, for the fish market, like fish that, because the fish that we, when we produce them, they, they are not the whole fish. So let's say the whole market is big but then our the portion of the filleted fish right uh, kind of already processed fish is you know um uh, that size is actually 50 60 billion and so indeed it's actually uh more sizable um for the than the the than the you know than the uh active uh, ingredient market which is roughly about four four billion including a lot of other active ingredient but um why we actually want to work on that is that we believe that uh, I believe that actually uh, we have been relying on animal uh, not just for food but a lot of other lifestyle things is still generating from animal. So if we actually try to remove uh, you know exploitation of animal or using animal for different things, there will still be other aspect of lifestyle that we that you know, the demand would creep up and say, hey, we will still need to derive this and that. How about this material? We used to get it from uh, you know, chicken and get from fish and something like that. So I think in the long term, uh, if we want to have a, we picture a world that we do not rely on animal and exploitation you know, in the future, I think it's not just food that we need to offer alternative solution. And in this case, the alternative solution actually more powerful. It's multifunctional. It's actually uh, pure. It, it does not involve, you know, sourcing from animal, and it does not create a lot of, you know, the acidic solution as a waste kind of, um, you know, uh, waste kind of discharge uh, into the environment as well. 
And uh, in terms of the function, it's actually uh, even more powerful. So yeah, why not? So that's 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 how we think that you know the technology should. When we look at it, uh, we have the underlying technology. On one hand, we produce food. The other hand, we also explore other, you know, other parts of our life that we 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 are still you know um, taking it from from the ocean, for example. We talked about where the this technology is in the arc of time in terms of the progress and the future and you know what types of things you're you're looking at to the future uh, i would ask you you know insofar as you can discuss it without giving away any you know company secrets what types of things are you looking to for the future and you know i note that you are one of the bloomberg new economy catalyst companies and people for the 2022 uh, Bloomberg New Economy Forum that's coming up in Singapore, well well placed for you in November, uh, you know, and it's innovators, it's people who are innovating in their category, you know, solutions that drive, you know, the economy, the environment, you know, the population. Um, I mean, that tells me that, you know, your future looking plans are likely going to be impactful or they look like they're going to be impactful. So what what types of things are you looking at for your company in the future? There's like the near term of, you know, the next few months or the year and then the longer term. Mm, mm. Yeah, indeed, we are, we are now, you know, doing the, the design and the planning for our pilot plan that will happen in Singapore. We will start doing the, you know, the, the building uh, next year. And then uh, very soon we will have uh, our production line up and running so that we can already start have our you know product inventory in the market and in terms of the you know there are multi a lot of things that we are actually doing so for example in the product development so we have a couple of we have three products already and of course we do see that the underlying technology is very powerful we can actually use it to develop uh, other kind of fish product for example we have the you know the the the, the fish relay we can also develop you know other uh, you know, seafood uh, fish product as well. Um, and then, of course, in our core technology, there's still a lot of things to be to be done. Like in this industry, um, you know, the cost is actually uh, one important challenge. And we have, do, we have been doing the cost reduction very well. Uh, but then, you know, uh, some uh, a saying goes like, nothing is the cheapest. There's always something cheaper than what you have been doing now. So the cost will need to continue to go down. At one point, we see that not only reaching price parity, but potentially even at a lower cost than conventionally kind of raising or catching kind of like fish from the ocean. So cost reduction is uh, innovation and also, you know, how to make it more efficient. Uh, use of a material is in our process as well. is something we're focusing on as well as well as the scaling up. So we are, we are looking at our first uh, plan as a demonstration of our solution and method. And then afterwards, we see that, you know, this technology uh, happen, you know, do not only happen in Singapore, of course, but other market that, you know, uh, there are demand like all throughout Asia and beyond. Um, so that is our like uh, next step beyond our pilot plan. Uh, in terms of you know scaling up and expansion, so does a does a meeting like the new economy forum 
create an opportunity for you to find other companies that you can collaborate with? Does it provide opportunity for you to find funding? Is it just publicity? Is it a way of uh, just extending the reach of your message? I do note that there is a, a company called eFishery, which is working with um, solutions for uh, shrimp and fish farmers, which is sort of attacking the same problem from a different point of view. Um, you guys are those your company and that company or maybe eFisher are maybe two sides of the same coin in in some aspects. Um, what what do you anticipate that event is going to be like? And how, I think it's also pretty amazing to be called a, a brilliant innovator and thinker, reshaping the economy with you know bold ideas. I mean that's that's a that's a great nomination to have. Yeah, I'm very grateful, actually very humble to be the the day I find out about it. I was I was actually very surprised and actually very pleasant surprise and very grateful for this opportunity. Indeed, uh what you mentioned uh kind of all of the above uh are, are, are kind of right because I think uh it is a uh, it is a community or a, a platform or ecosystem whereby um, like-minded people, like people who uh, be them, they are in very established kind of business operation. Uh, they, they would like to see, okay, what are the solutions out there? And for us as a, you know, a startup, we have a lot of things to learn from uh, established company. And of course, definitely look at, looking at you know, area where we can collaborate because what we do is to try to come up with a solution and options and hopefully that will also uh, offer a you know uh, alternative method from some ex existing operation. For example, I take the example that you know um, in this space and in in uh, where we we are concerned, uh, we do not compete with people actually you know doing fish farming. Um, we we actually see that you know down the line, uh, you know the ocean is uh, have a problem of overfishing. There's a lot of marine pollutants and, you know, aquaculture uh, cater for some of the demand, part of the demand. And uh, we offer a solution also help to provide a, another toolbox to, to do business, right? So it, one is that, you know, it's similar in a, in a restaurant. You know, on one hand, I can, I can deep fry this dish. On the other hand, I can steam, steam the, you know, steam the dish. So we are actually offering another set of equipment for, for company and, uh, and business people to actually produce uh, meat in alternative way. Uh, whatever the business number makes sense, I think everyone can work together. So we are not actually selling some product to be, you know, uh, competing with those, you know, existing in the market. And I think this offer a um, uh, kind of like a solution to the risk some of the climate change, because uh, you may know, you may have read in newspaper, like every other day, like the fluctuation in terms of the, temperature of the ocean, acidity and water quality actually affect a lot of these um, traditional way of operation. And so um, I think down the line, uh, this new solution, uh, our technology and similar solution will be, will become, you know, will be handy and also to a certain extent essential uh, for business operation to hedge the risk. So I think uh, in this platform uh, is a very good to meet with people who actually 
big businesses who are open-minded to new technology and for us to actually learn from them what might be the pain point and what might be the area we can we can you can use our technology to help and work together uh, so I think this is very very valuable uh, platform and also uh, you know community to be it and, and I'm super super uh, grateful to be um, you know part of it well, it should be exciting. We'll take a look online um, as the event unfolds. There's a lot of information online and some of the events are, are virtual as well. So people can take a look at them and join in or look at post-event videos. Uh, if you're interested in the you know tech and new economy space, this is a great resource. Um, even years past also to see what the companies were and where they are now. Um, we're out of time and I really wanted to get to the questions about what it's like being a woman CEO and co-founder in this really, really new cutting edge tech space. Um, but we, we don't have time to talk about that. So I'm thinking it's been a, it's been a little bit of time since we did a women in tech roundtable episode. Um, it's, it's always challenging being a woman in a professional space and certainly one that is in innovation and CEO and, and leadership, um, especially something that requires funding, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is always an interesting challenge. So, um, Carrie, I want to thank you for joining, and maybe we'll have you back to do a, a Women in Tech Roundtable and bring together some women innovators and CEOs and founders and just talk about what the landscape is like out there right now. Sounds good. So I want to thank Carrie Chan, CEO and co-founder of Avant, avantmeats.com, um, the first cultivated fish Meat company. Um, it's fascinating. It's a new kind of fish. It's state-of-the-art fish. Uh, who'd have thought that we would have state-of-the-art fish? Um, it's a really interesting idea. We have a lot of episodes on Tech Bytes talking to founders and innovators about plant-based substitutes for animal proteins, lab-grown substitutes for animal proteins, uh, people working on new solutions uh, to help reduce the environmental impact and also create maybe better healthful solutions for everyone. If you find this interesting, take a look at heritageradionetwork.org slash techbytes. We have lots of episodes for you to listen to. If you think this kind of global conversation about where our food life is at is an important thing to do, click the beating heart on our website and make a donation today. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of members like you. And, you know, our main mission is to help create a more delicious and equitable world for everyone. And I think that's something that we can all agree to. Anyway, thank you for spending time with us. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.